Hi, CityCast listeners. Does Beto O'Rourke have a chance of becoming governor of Texas? Three months ago, I would have said no. But now, could he pull it off? I am talking today with Texas politics expert Scott Braddock, a reporter for thequorumreport.com and one of the hosts of the podcast Texas Take. It is Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. So, Scott, you were at the GOP convention in Houston, right? Mm -hmm. I was. And what did you see with uh, Governor Greg Abbott? What was going on with him? Interesting. With Governor Abbott, he chose to not be at the convention. Um, and I think there are several reasons for that. The first one is that he might get booed by people in his own party. I mean, you you saw uh, when Governor Abbott was um, attending a Trump rally in mm -hmm. Montgomery County earlier in the year, and yeah. he was booed at that. There were people who were screaming, you suck. And this is when he was in the middle of a primary uh, against former state Senator Don Huffines, uh, as well as uh, Alan West, who was the former chairman of the Republican Party in Texas, and entertainer, I'm using entertainer loosely, Chad <laughs> Prather, um, who, and yeah. look, none of these guys ever had a chance. Right. It's amazing to me what Abbott and some Republicans are afraid of. Usually they're afraid of nothing, really. Um, Abbott destroyed them all in the primary. He he beat three people. He got 66% of the vote in the in the primary, even though there were three pretty amped up, energetic challengers. A lot of these races I would describe as um, spirited, but not necessarily competitive. I, mean, I think he spent more than $15 million uh, to win his primary. He will again have a mountain of money uh, yeah. when he's running against uh, Beto O'Rourke this fall. And we'll get into that if you like. Oh, yeah. uh, but at the convention, at the convention, instead of going there, he uh, had an event in a bar across the street where there were people standing in line outside. It was 102 degrees in Houston, and, and of course, there was no humidity, right? right. No, wait, it, the opposite. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> 60 and 70-year-olds standing in line outside in 100-degree heat. They had EMS on standby. Luckily, nobody got sick or overheated, um, but that's the degree, that's the, that's the lengths he was willing to go to to not get booed in that convention hall in the way that our senior senator, John Cornyn, was. So what does that show about the Republican Party right now? The moment when John Cornyn stepped on the stage at the Texas uh, part of GOP convention, um, his staff knew it was going to be bad. They knew that he was going to be met with a lot of hatred there. I was privy to a conversation that some of his current and former staffers were having, a, a group text message. By the way, when, when you have a group text message, there are no secrets in a group text, right? It, it, it gets out. <laughs> And you saw the video of him being booed. And what was he being booed for? Simply talking with Democrats about gun safety legislation, which to his credit, he did pass anyway. But I can tell you, if you look at those videos of the reception he got there, yeah. the people who were so angry and giving him the thumbs down, some of them giving them you know, the middle finger, um, you really had, it, I hate to say you really had to be there because that, that always seems obnoxious, but the video did not do it justice. How? Uh, when I um, started to hear the boos, I was uh, standing uh, probably about a third of the way back in this convention hall of about 4,000 people or so. And I was right there by the, the TV risers where they have the, the cameras set up to, to broadcast the event. I jumped up on the TV riser, 
so that I could capture some video of this uh, crowd as they were really turning on the senior senator. Um, and Lisa, I could feel the hatred radiating onto my body from these people. They were so angry. And it's because they see him as a sellout. They see him as a, some sort of a traitor. Um, we did see uh, Dan Crenshaw, Republican from Houston, mm -hmm. uh, the congressman uh, who was walking to a luncheon uh, after the Cornyn uh, speech, and uh, Crenshaw uh, was accosted by some folks who said that he's a traitor because he's a, quote, globalist who wants to sell out the United States to corporate interests. Uh, and one of the protesters there said that Crenshaw needed to be, quote, hung for treason. This is Dan Crenshaw, Afghanistan veteran who lost an eye serving his country. Oh, what does that say about the Republican Party right now in Texas? There are those who believe in the party that what the party should do is simply be there to help candidates get elected, offer them, uh, you know, uh, help with their campaigns, uh, make sure they have the resources they need, money they need, and all of that. The other faction that seems to be winning is the faction that says, no, we're not here to help elect Republicans. We are here to make sure that the Republicans that are elected are as conservative as possible. Um, and if you think back 15, 20 years ago, back when they were welcoming John Cornyn onto the stage, when he would have been a conservative rock star and they're playing a song that goes, Big John. And there were <laughs> right. 10,000 delegates at that. There were more like 4,000 to 6,000 at, uh, at this convention. And I think as people get nastier, they drive folks out who are disgusted by that. While all the booing was happening and the anger was being directed at Cornyn over the gun legislation, there were people in the hall who were just disgusted. I saw a text message uh, from one of uh, one of the female delegates there. Uh, it was all caps. Mm -hmm. And it said, I will never come back to another one of these conventions. But unfortunately, that's what happens, uh, Lisa, is when others get disgusted, they just don't come back the next time. And you continue to see the party get a, a little smaller and more purified with these people who are just angry. Uh, my publisher, uh, Harvey Kronberg at quorumreport.com, he likes to say that these are the kind of activists who wake up ready to be angry. They turn on Fox News Channel and they tell them what to be angry about. Mm -hmm. And then they're angry all day long. And that's what we saw there. Wow. Okay. But does Greg Abbott need those people to win? Yes. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. So in Texas, I mean, if you look at the changing voting patterns here, mm -hmm. uh, look at uh, President Trump's performance in 2020. Um, he performed worse than any presidential nominee in a generation in Texas. He, he beat Joe Biden in Texas by six points. You know, folks get this wrong. That a lot of people believe that Texas is is just this, you know, rock solid Republican place. And it really isn't. Um, you know, our state government doesn't reflect that, right? But it really isn't. Um, th it, it, you know, some Republicans like to compare Texas to California. I'll, I'll give you a comparison. In Texas, the Republican nominee for president wins by six. Do you know how much Joe Biden won California by? No. Almost, almost 30 points, Whoa. right? So, so we're nowhere near as Republican as California is Democratic. Right. Um, and with 1,000, at least 1,000 people moving to Texas every day, um, that has an effect on our, on our politics. Now, look, look at where people move to. Um, there are some people who are very conservative who are moving to Texas for that reason, uh, because they're moving for some, you know, from some other place like California, uh, because they think that, you know, that the taxes are too high and that, uh, you know, that business can't uh, operate the way that 
that it should in places like that. And they come here uh, looking for uh, freedom when it comes to guns, when it comes to a few other things as well. Um, but I don't think they're going to experience the same kind of freedom as they would in California or Nevada when it comes right. to uh, smoking pot or going to a <laughs> casino or anything like that. Some of right. them are surprised when they get here and, right. and those things aren't legal. I mean, I hear about people who are moving out of Texas seeking freedom. So like, you know, raise a trans kid or have an abortion. Sure. There are some. Um, the numbers still mm -hmm. indicate, though, that we have, you know, net, uh, you know, yeah. uh, positive migration. Right. Um, and even during the height of pandemic restrictions, there were about 1,200 people moving to Texas every day. Um, if you have Republicans who are um, sort of depressed about who their nominee is, if there are all these, I mean, remember, uh, Abbott got 66%, but that leaves 30% odd uh, people who didn't agree with him in the Republican Party. Um, if they're depressed by even as much as 5 or 6%, um, that starts to put things in play uh, for somebody like Beto O'Rourke, uh, who we can talk more about. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, th the fact is that this is the first time I've seen this, Lisa, where all throughout my time covering Texas politics, Republicans would have very nasty primary elections, which we saw that again this time around. We saw in one of the um, runoff elections in the Fort Worth area, the central argument was whether women should be executed for getting abortions. That was in the Tarrant, that was in the Tarrant County suburbs. You probably saw that story. Now, the, the, the candidate, the incumbent... Mm -hmm who didn't agree with that did win the race, but that tells you where the, where the debate right. is in the GOP, right? Right. But it, a moderate is not what I think of as a moderate mm, anymore. No, not at all. Yeah. yeah. Right. The one who didn't want to kill women for getting abortions, that's the moderate, right? right? That, that's where we are in the Republican party right. now, but now I don't see Republicans coming together the way they would before. So do you think Beto has a chance? I think his chance is better than zero. Okay. So that's <laughs> um, it, look, better than I, I might've said a few months ago. Sure. You know, and, and uh, Beto has, uh, you know, a lot of positives and some negatives too, and I'll, I'll get into it and you'll get some, you'll get some hate mail for, for <laughs> me saying anything <laughs> negative about, um, but look, he's a charismatic, he's a charismatic guy. He came yeah. out of uh, El Paso at, before 2018. Had you ever even heard of Beto O'Rourke? Most me. people had not. No. And of course we live in a state where we have, you know, nearly 40 members of Congress. There's no way to know all of them, right? I mean, if we did flashcards with members of Congress, right. I probably would mix some of them up and I do this for a living. Um, so, so, so Beto O'Rourke comes out of nowhere. He kind of sets the political world on fire. I saw a poll this week that said that Beto has 99% name ID in Texas, wow. which everyone knows who he is. Mm -hmm. Now there's good and bad to that. Um, look, if everybody knows who you are, that means that their opinion is probably already set. Um, and so he's starting from a place in this campaign where he doesn't have to introduce himself. He can go on and talk about issues. And so he's doing that. I see in this campaign, he's not the same kind of happy warrior he was in 2018. You remember in, uh, in that race when he was running against Cruz, which I thought it was extra interesting and maybe a misstep that he just would not attack Senator Cruz. Uh, this is a guy who has been described by some of his own colleagues in the U.S. Senate. Some Republican colleagues have said that Ted Cruz has the most punchable face in the Senate. Um, <laughs> So, so you had even right. a lot of Republicans who don't like right. the guy, uh, but, but Beto just wouldn't go there. With Abbott, he's been on the attack since day one, um, and it's just a very different Beto that we're seeing in this. And that mm -hmm. doesn't mean he doesn't have his, his happy moments, of course. So people love the guy, and you'll, you'll see him at these events where there's a, a line that's a mile long to, for, for people just right. to get a photo and maybe get an autograph. He's got this rock star quality, um, but a very talented politician. The question is, can he stay focused? And he does have to help answer your question, mm -hmm. he has a menu of issues uh, that he can tap into, that he can really expand on uh, and, and create a campaign around. And, and these issues have just been popping up in the last few months, you know, like that moment at Uvalde, I thought was really striking. Could you talk about that? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, in, in Uvalde, uh, you had Beto confront 
uh, Greg Abbott uh, while Abbott was on stage with uh, the Speaker of the House, the Lieutenant Governor, the Texas Attorney General, some uh, some state representatives and senators. Uh, and so, of course, I thought it was sort of funny that um, after Beto confronted him, that some folks were saying this is not the time for politics. Okay, but it is the time to have a stage full of politicians standing there in Uvalde right after, after this tragedy a school happened. shooting. Right. So the the point is that it was already a political event. Beto turned it into a different kind of political event, into a confrontation. And as I talked to mothers all across Texas, is that's who I keep taking the temperature of right now. It's yeah. really women. Yeah. And women are really having a bad react. To your point, they are having a bad reaction to and should have a bad reaction to um, gun violence. The overturning of Roe versus Wade. Uh, when I talked to mothers around the state, and I said, "Wouldn't you have loved to be the person standing there, pointing the finger in Greg Abbott's face, uh, and saying, this is on you? You did nothing four years ago after a shooting in Santa Fe in the Houston area.'" Um, and when when we get into this conversation, mothers will all say, "You know what? Not just me. All of us would want to be the ones." to do that. So I think Republicans have a lot of work to do uh, to try to close that gap uh, with women. And I do believe that, look, I think Senator Cornyn's heart is in the right place where he's trying to you know, craft some control? kind of gun safety legislation. Yeah. But there's also a political reality to what he's doing. Uh, these senators run in statewide races. They don't run in these individual congressional districts that are optimized for partisan advantage. Instead, they're looking at statewide polling. Uh, Mitch McConnell, the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, he and Cornyn had to be looking at some polling showing that the gun violence issue is it maybe not going to cost them uh, you know, a, a lot of their elections this fall. But it may complicate their efforts to take the majority in the Senate because there are a lot of women who are really angry. We see all these, uh, you know, emergency protests right now. But whether that's going to equal emergency voting this fall is yet to be seen. Yeah. Can you talk about how abortion is likely to affect the governor's race? You know, in this state, we have policy prescriptions on abortion that are so far out of the mainstream that it's hard to see how it doesn't shift things up this fall. Um, now, until this point, and I've said this over and over again, I'm a broken record on this. If people listen to my podcast or any any appearance, uh, if I'm giving a speech, I'm on the radio or TV, I always say a version of this. In Texas, the election of consequence is the Republican primary, period. Yeah. In fact... I've made this argument too, and people think I'm a little over the top. I believe that the Republican primary in Texas is the most important election on earth that no one pays attention to because it, it directly impacts 31 million Americans' lives, right? We're undercounted in the census. Mm -hmm. They say we're at 29. I say we're probably about 31 million. Um, and the fact is that only less than 2 million people even vote in that election. Uh, so that means that you have somewhere between 750,000 to a million people represented largely by that angry crowd at the Texas GOP convention. Yeah. Those are the folks who are making all the decisions about who's going to lead us. And until that changes, uh, these are the kind of policies we're going to have. Um, and so looking forward into the November election, if you look at the polling of the general electorate, um, there are there there is an appetite for some abortion restrictions, but not an outright ban, and especially not an outright ban with no exceptions for rape or incest or anything else. Um, when you start to ask that question, mm -hmm. um, it's probably 75 to 80 percent of people do not agree with the laws that we have on the books now in Texas. And if you look at where the legislature is already planning to go, you may have seen Washington Post report this I've morning terrifying. that said that yeah. that said uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Oliverson, who's a state representative from the Houston area, he's already working on legislation to ban women from traveling out of the state 
to get an abortion if that's what they choose to do. Meantime, you have these uh, abortion funds, which are you know really under fire. Uh, another Houston uh, legislator, Briscoe Kane, a very conservative member of the legislature from Deer Park, mm-hmm. uh, he has said that he wants to punish companies if they tr- offer uh, benefits as far as travel benefits to women who want to go get or need to go get an abortion. Um, if, if, if that's what they choose to do, um, really getting in between uh, people and their doctor. How often during the healthcare debate, going back to 2008 and 2010, how often did you hear Republicans say uh, that the government has no place in the doctor-patient relationship, right? When we were, when right, the when big we're talking was about, about wearing a mask. The Affordable know, Care Act, when you're talking about a mask, privacy, when you're talking right. about, right. Yeah. Um, but on this, right. um, they want the government right between you and your doctor. And it was, I mean, frankly, heartbreaking last Friday, The day of the ruling, you had um, women who were already at a clinic being told, you need to put your clothes back on and go back to the lobby because we can't help you. Um, And so unless we have some big shift uh, in Texas elections this fall, that's going to continue. And as a as an abortion rights activist told me many, many years ago, going back to 2013, uh, when Wendy Davis was filibustering that big abortion bill at Mm -hmm. that time, which to think about it now. That legislation was significant, but it was nibbling around the edges compared to what's happening oh, now. Oh, yeah. So bottom line, mm-hmm. do you think Beto has a chance at this point against <laughs> Abbott? Uh, I, I promise I'm not avoiding that. Um, yeah. So I, I, th- I think he does have some chance. Yeah. But the way I would describe it is that Democrats in Texas have to hit the inside straight on issues. And what I mean by that is they have all these issues that are, that are good for them. Um, they have uh, Medicaid expansion, mm-hmm. which is a, which is a strong argument in rural Texas. Uh, they have the issue of Roe versus Wade being overturned, which is a good is, is a good issue if they focus on what it means for women. I'm saying that for a reason. If you focus in on what it means for the transgender community, LGBTQ community, it's, and I'm not saying people shouldn't advocate for those folks, right? But remember, to win an election, what you have to do is grow your coalition, right? Not shrink it. So if you're talking about something that affects one percent of the population versus half the population or more, fifty-three percent, right. who, as my publisher, Mr. Kromberg, put it yesterday, because of the legislation that's been passed in Texas, women have been legislated into second-class citizen status. Right. And a lot of Republican women are not happy with that. Uh, that's just anecdotally. Um, look at the electricity grid. I saw a poll this week that showed that across demographic groups, people are worried about the electricity grid after the winter storm. Yeah. Uh, and they have good reason to be. And you may know that there was legislation passed after the storm to uh, to require that the uh, and by the way, a lot of people had never even heard of ERCOT before the the big winter storm. Right. People didn't even know what that meant. Right. ERCOT sound like a stone fruit or something. <laughs> Um, um, if I'll tell you this, if we have rolling blackouts in Texas this summer, which is, which is, I'm not predicting that, but it's totally possible that, that upends everything that will flip the script for Texas politics, because on something like that, it's not about Republican or Democrat. It's about who is in charge and who do we need to fire now? That's the kind of moment when you not just figuratively, but literally will see people with pitchforks and torches in the streets looking for who they need to go to the ballot box and fire. And of course that would be Greg Abbott. So it's not wrong for Beto to do something that he has, he has been doing, which is talking a lot about the electricity grid. He's talked about his, his quote is something like uh, these jokers couldn't even keep the lights on in the energy capital of the world. Um, and so you, you start to see if, if Democrat, if Democrats are going to hit, uh, hit the inside straight, they're pretty close, but hitting the inside straight for Democrats only means that it would then be competitive 
and that they'd still have to close the deal and they'd be you know battling Greg Abbott who's going to have probably 60 million dollars to spend something like that and we'll see what uh what kind of fundraising Beto has here in the weeks to come we get a we get a report uh coming up here in the middle of the year uh for finances um but he he's going to be very outmatched uh against Greg Abbott who at one point and this still may be true Abbott at one point had more money in the bank than the Republican National Committee wow <laughs> yeah all right Well, thank you so much, Scott. I feel smarter now. (laughs) That was Scott Braddock from thequorumreport.com. Y'all, this weekend on Saturday, we are going to have a bonus episode for you in our feed. It will be an episode of The Quorum Report, so y'all watch out for that. Next up, I am here with producer Farrell Gibbs. Farrell, what else is going on in Houston today? Well, Lisa, why not start off this holiday week with a forecast? So say the fellows over at Space City Weather this week brought back what they call hot weather again to the area. June, barely gone, which was, as Space City Weather also reported, the hottest June we've ever had on record. But tomorrow through Friday, they are predicting upper 90s, said don't get your hopes up for any rain. And then for the weekend, the temperatures will go even higher. Near 100 degree weather possible inside the city. Eric Berger from Space City Weather said, quote, quite honestly, there does not seem to be much of a chance of a pattern change, at least into the early to middle part of next week. Hot, hot, hot. And then he said, the good news is the Atlantic tropics look to be quiet for a while. So at least we've got that. That is it for our show today. On Wednesdays, which is tomorrow, uh, my newsletter co-writer, Brooke Lewis, does Books with Brooke, talking about Houston's literary scene. Y'all want to see that, so sign up for the newsletter. It's at houston.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow. Boom. All I need are three-day weekends to rest up.